Hello, everyone, and welcome to Memphis Hardwood. I am your host, Anthony Syracuse, and I am joined, as always, by the inimitable Marvin Stockwell. Marvin, good morning. Good morning. Glad Y'all to be here. I, I, I'm glad to be here as well. I have to say, this is a little odd for us because typically we record this podcast in the afternoon. And uh, mm-hmm. being that I'm in Colorado Mountain Time, it is 8.09 in the morning. So yes. I'm going to try to turn on my Grizzlies brain bright and early. But uh, <laughs> we have a special uh, guest today, which is why we've uh, recorded the pod in the morning. And I couldn't be uh, more happy to introduce uh, Matt Herdlicka. Matt, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks did for having I, me. Man, we're so glad to have Did I pronounce your name right? You did. It's phonetic, man. H, roll right into the R. It's like there's an E there. What a beautiful thing. That's that's incredible. I have a last name of Syracuse, so you can imagine how that goes from time to time. Um, Matt, we are so delighted to have you uh, here on the pod. And uh, first things first, Matt has a Patreon page where he writes extremely well and in depth about the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, and so please check that out. But let's get started by just Matt having you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and how you got into writing about the Grizz. Yeah, well, when we were chatting before uh, we started, um you know, I, we found out we were both former Rhodes. Well, I guess you're never former, but you know, we're both Rhodes links alumni. And, uh, so that's how I got to Memphis originally. Um, and then I was actually in school when the Grizzlies came and, uh, and I remember I've told the story a couple of times, but I played football at Rhodes and I was down in the basement of like, you know, the BCLC, which is our athletic, uh, facility. And I was just dying. It was, I was a freshman. I was in over my head and we had to go back out for a second morning practice. And, um, and I saw this just enormous person, like basically walked right over me. And I was like, I thought I was loosening. Cause I was like, that looked like Shane Battier. <laughs> wow. Uh, so it was, and it was because they were actually practicing at Rhodes Cause they were, that was back in the old pyramid days. Um, so I remember thinking, wow, that was really cool. That was, that was the former, cause he was just the college player of the year, the year before. Um, so I became a, a fan, like almost from the beginning, almost, almost from the beginning. Um, and after college, I, uh, started writing for the, you know, the SBN, uh, Grizzly Bear Blues, um, site. This was, um, when Kevin Leip was the, he was the one that brought me on and I was kind of like. I'm running a company. I don't have that much time, but let's kind of see how it goes because, uh, you know, I wanted to scratch the writing itch. Um, that was why I went to Rhodes originally was for writing. Um, and all these years later, I'm doing a Patreon page that, um, you know, we always give, we get 50, at least 50% of the money, um, to charities. Um, some of them Memphis targeted, some of them more broadly targeted, um, currently looking for a Ukraine specific, uh, charity. If anybody knows one that's reputable, I might just end up giving it to, you know, Red Cross or something. But um, anyway, that's kind of like my origin writing story. Yeah, that's amazing. It's wild to think about being, you know, I think you mentioned you came from Louisiana, coming up to Memphis, and then here comes this NBA team one in one of your first years in college. Like, what an incredible experience. I mean, so I grew up in Memphis and I remember the campaign to bring the Grizzlies uh, mm. to Memphis. And Marv, you probably remember this as well. They had the okay. NBA now signs, the yard signs, or they had the NBA no signs. I mean, it was a <laughs> it was a huge point of civic uh, debate for many years because, of course, the taxpayers had to foot the bill to build FedEx Forum um, and still have to pay uh, you know a lot of money for FedEx Forum. 
Um, but wow, that's really cool, Matt, to know that you were in college when the Grizzlies came to town and you were literally introduced to them by Shane Battier in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and you make a good point. I mean, there are pluses and minuses to publicly funded stadiums, but I mean, once I, I, I came from Baton Rouge, so the public, you know, the publicly funded sports team there is LSU. <laughs> uh, and, and one of the biggest stadiums in the country. In a, a down One of the biggest stadiums in the country. But, you know, after being in a city like Memphis, that which I thought was a big city, like I still think I, I live in Atlanta, outside Atlanta now. So it's kind of been reconfigured uh, what is big and what is small. But it, there is something to be said that a sports team puts you on a map and there is yeah. an uncommon amount of civic pride connected to the Grizzlies, especially for people around our age and younger, you know, there is sort of like a generational divide between older Memphians who tend to be Memphis state fans. And then, you know, the younger generation, we still qualify as younger, I think. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, yeah. No the doubt. Grizzlies fans. So anyway, yeah. Well, Marvin, this is something we talked about directly on the last pod, which was the older generation of Memphians being so invested in the Tigers, who we have to yeah. on this pod acknowledge are going back to the NCAA tournament for the first time in seven years. Incredible. Let's let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate Penny mm-hmm. uh, and uh, let's celebrate this uh, game that we are hopefully going to win against Boise State on Thursday. Uh, so folks tune into that because it's uh, the Tigers are back in the big dance. But we talked about the the civic pride, the optimism, that fabric that joins Memphians, right? Some mm-hmm. of them connected to the Tigers, some of them connected to the Grizzlies, and for many of us now, being connected to the success of both teams. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think it's part of the you know the psyche of the city to kind of have our teams represent us, and it, it says a lot about what we expect of our city and what we hope for our city. And I really think you know this this debate about well, can can the teams be good at the same time? And I think. Even even framing that argument is 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 what's what's in parentheses is is a doubt is is a lingering doubt uh, in Memphis that we would have you know sufficient you know good karma points whatever you want to call it to have two good teams and and I, and I think now the fact that both teams are surging at the at the same time I think I mean it's just a representation but I still do think it says something about where Memphis is and where our hopes still are and that we're still climbing. Absolutely. So Memphis on a big national stage, I'd say John Morant has taken Memphis um, on his shoulders to a national and international level that we have not experienced. Uh, Maybe since Penny Hardaway. I mean, of course, Penny and Little Penny, right? We all remember that from the 90s, like, you know, helped Memphis uh, to have sort of a different stature. But of course, Penny was playing for the Magic, right? During that time when he really became famous. So but the Grizzlies uh, going, you know, into potentially the playoffs as a two seed. We will get into that. Uh, the Memphis Tigers going back to the big dance for the first time since 2014. Um, it's a good time to be invested in Memphis uh, as we get into this, the high season uh, of basketball in the month of March. Y'all, we have a lot to get to uh, with this Grizzlies team. We are in the stretch run of this season. The Grizzlies are currently positioned higher than they have ever uh, been positioned going into this uh, stretch of the season. Um, The Grizzlies have never finished with a two seed uh, or better. In fact, I believe y'all isn't the highest seed that the Grizzlies finished with was was fifth. Uh, Was that in the 13-14 season? We'd have to uh, get our our fact checkers on that. Um, That's right, though. For those listeners who are here, um, yeah, let us know. But I'm, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, fifth. May have been fourth, but they certainly have not finished second or third. Yeah, so. they were, they were a four seed against the Clippers um, 
that one year the Clippers beat us in six in seven because we had the That's home right. Game. You you know yeah. what? I was at that home game where OJ Mayo was uh, being uh, unusually relied upon at the end of the game, and I remember mm-hmm. the walk of shame out of FedEx Forum after we yeah. lost that game seven. Yeah, that was tough. Um, so nevertheless, the Grizzlies are in rare air right now. Um, the Grizzlies are among, uh, the youngest, uh, teams in history that might get to, uh, 55 wins this season. We have to, we'll have to wait and see, but that is definitely within reach. Um, I think they'll finish in the 55 to 57, uh, win, uh, range. Uh, and we've just got Dylan Brooks back. Um, and we'll get to that as well, um, to watch him return to the court. I know. Uh, was was a wonderful relief for so many Grizzlies fans. But um, I want to talk first about this uh, this New Orleans game because that was the first game uh, since we were uh, we were on the pod. And frankly, y'all, that was a uh, that was a fantastic bounce back game for the Grizzlies. I have to tell you, I was I was a little bit worried and and you know where I'm going to go with this. I was a little bit worried about that game because they the New Orleans Pelicans now boast a certified Grizz killer and his name is C.J. McCollum. Uh, and so yeah. I was a little concerned going into that game that the Grizzlies uh, may not be able to bounce back from that, frankly, horrendous loss against the Houston Rockets, which which may have been sort of the worst loss of the season. But not only did they bounce back, but they absolutely uh, whooped that trick, uh, if I could use that phraseology. Yeah. Uh, and and really uh, crushed the Pelicans by by 20 plus points. One of the things I want to point out there, because this is something we might start to see defensively from the Grizzlies, um, CJ McCollum was hot. Let's be clear. I, I can't remember. He had double digits in the first quarter. I mean, he was going off in the beginning of that game. And then the Grizzlies, Matt, double teamed him. They mm-hmm. started they started double teaming McCollum and threw him out of his ry- rhythm and started forcing turnovers. And I, ca- I can't remember another time this season when they had used that kind of defensive execution um, to really disrupt the flow uh, of an offensive player, but it sure seemed to work. They slowed him down. Yeah, well, you know, the part of the value of a double team is is the context of who the guy you're double teaming is playing with. And th- the rest of the Pelicans, the Pelicans are a poor passing team in general. CJ kind of kind of is their point guard. Um, and so, you know, they've got, um, Herb Jones, who's a limited offensive player. They've got, um, Brandon Ingram who didn't play that game. Didn't he didn't play that game? No, he was out. Yeah. He was out. Yeah. So, so, and then Jonas, as we know, uh, fantastic offensive player, but he's a black hole, you know, the ball goes in. And so if he, he, he is not a playmaker off of anywhere outside of the paint. You know, if that ball, like, you know, once the ball goes in and the defense can play kind of like his cards are face up. So, you know, the double teaming was really effective in that game, probably because of the CJ is the only passer they have. Yeah. It was very difficult. You, you make a good point because once CJ would get the ball, other guys were just not in position. And when they did get the, uh, get the ball, if they did get the ball, they couldn't do much with it. Um, so that's just something to keep an eye on. I don't know if that, that level of double teaming is going to be effective against a, you know, a better passing uh, team a more organized team once we get to the playoffs but it's something mm-hmm. to keep an eye on because it sure did work against uh grizz killer cj mccollum a couple notes from the pelicans game we had 30 assists on 48 made baskets that was the 12 30 assist game for the grizzlies um we had 72 uh points in the paint um so the grizzlies were doing their thing they were sharing the ball they were pounding the paint um 
And then uh, they were eighth in assists. Uh, you know, they're eighth in assists in the league. And so the Grizzlies have to move the ball. And if you look at the percentage of made threes that are assisted by the Grizzlies, that is where the Grizzlies are at their uh, their best shooting the ball as well. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on is if the Grizzlies can keep those high assists, uh, particularly on made threes. Um, bottom line, guys, the Grizz don't lose when they have 30 or more assists. Um, and so that is a number to track, you know, as we get into these games, uh, going into the stretch run and into the playoffs, Grizzlies have to, uh, move the ball. Uh, Marvin, I know you didn't get a chance yeah. to watch the full Knicks game. Um, but that was a fun game. Um, and uh, just a couple of things I want to tee up. Julius Randall is a beast. Uh, it was on the national TV broadcast and somebody, somebody made the point that he would, he had Zach Randolph's body but had the like uh, agility of a guard. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> that makes so dangerous. much, that makes so much sense. And he's very hard <laughs> to guard. Um, and one thing I want to say, Jaron, um, Jaron, uh, he was having some issues with fouls the past couple of games. He's had to sit because of fouls. We haven't had to talk about that a ton. I think size and length for someone like Julius Randall at the four is a problem for Jaron because he plays defense with his hands too much. And when guys get physical, um, it can be a problem for him. But, uh, but Marv, yeah, thoughts on the Knicks game? Yeah, you know, uh, gosh, I wish uh, my son Cormac and I got really lucky going to that Spurs game a few weeks ago and <laughs> seeing that monster dunk and then seeing that, you know, length of the court pass. So, uh, so Cormac and I were hoping to get just as lucky with the Pelicans game. It was more of a laugher. It was a good game to be at. Uh, but, I yeah, I would much rather have been uh, seeing a really – close game with a lot more thrills and chills uh, like the Knicks game. Uh, it was a more thrilling game. And I think uh, the type of game, but quite frankly, we're going to have to get more used to when we go into the playoffs. Cause we're not, you know, I don't think we're going to have any laugher games, uh, but it, I think we were, we were tested, right? We, we, uh, and you, we talked a bit about this uh, Anthony, and that is the, the, the idea of like keeping your foot on the gas and uh, I don't think this is exactly maybe uh, that they slacked up, uh, but they got, you know, the, the Knicks came back on them. And, and it was because of this uh, play that you just uh, described. That's absolutely right. And we have to think about it, that as we head into the playoffs, uh, more ball secure teams, more uh, better players that we're going to be facing. So it, it was definitely a thrilling game. And I, I, my take home point really is, is, uh, is really the, a, the balanced scoring is encouraging. Uh, and then just like Ja as an emphatic closer with an iron will. Uh, I think both of those things are, are, are trends that I think if we keep them up, along with this double teaming, I think I mean, that's interesting to me as well. But I think these are trend lines that are breaking the right way uh, at this point in the season. Uh, and it time will tell whether or not we can really, you know, ratchet, uh, you know, tighten the screws on, on, on those things uh, going forward. But I think, I think uh, we're, a, we're, we're not afraid of the moment when it's a clutch game where we have to, you know, really bring out our best and, and go strong to the hole. Yeah. Well, John Moran is the second best clutch scorer in the NBA behind only one Joel Embiid in the MVP race. Um, so that helps. Um, the Grizzlies only had 18 points in the fourth quarter uh, of that Knicks game. Um, the Knicks defense uh, was challenging. And I think another thing to highlight, Matt, is Mitchell Robinson at the five was a real problem for John Morant. 
And I think in general, when the Grizzlies face size on the wing and in the middle, um, they, they struggle because John Moran is the leading paint scorer in the league. The Grizzlies are the leading paint scoring team in the league. Uh, and they had RJ Barrett, Julius Randall, and Mitchell Robinson on the wings and in the center. Um, and I think the Grizzlies, I think the Grizzlies struggle with that, even with the most clutch score in the league. Yeah. And especially when you get into the playing the good teams in the playoffs, like you're still going to be able to do what you do, but the playoffs is all about whittling down edges. And one of the edges that like, like basically what you're saying is jaws paint scoring. If you can turn jaw into his, his floater is great, but that's still, um, he's great at a low efficiency shot. So, you know, you're trading a a jaw layup that's worth 1.2 shots or or 1.2 points per shot for a floater that's worth 0.9 and 0.9 is great. But if you're getting 0.9 every single time down the court, that's a problem. So yeah, the Knicks, the things I noticed about the Knicks game is exactly what you're talking about, which is Mitchell Robinson was active. He, he created some issues for jaw and the minutes, the, the, the Jaron foul trouble, when Jaron goes out of the game, the Grizzlies are just a flat out different team. They have no shooting in the front court, which clutters everything up and it exacerbates the jaw problem, which is now defenses don't have to honor quite as much. And those big guys can just stay at home and you can just really focus in on jaw. Um, and then on the defensive end, Jaron's the only Jaron is the whole defense. Like they've got other great defensive players, but without him, they are a small team. Even with Steven Adams in there, like, you know, he, Jaron is, um, I think, I think maybe defensive player of the year is a little overrating him, but he is, he is by far our best defensive player. Um, even with Dylan Brooks back. Uh, so that's really the two things that I noticed from the, from the Knicks game yeah. is Jaron. And then, and like you said, the the big guys on the other team. Well, and I mean, Matt, to your point, and, and Marvin, you mentioned this earlier, the Grizz, the Grizz lost the lead when Jaron went to the bench. And when Jaron came back into the game, the Grizzlies retook the lead. Um, and and I, I could not agree with you more, Matt, in terms of Jaron being the, being the defense. Obviously, he's leading the lead in blocks. Uh, he's averaging over two blocks per game. Uh, and if you heard him after um, uh, the Knicks game, one of the things that he said was, I'm out there hunting blocks. (laughs) And I I want to mention that because honestly, when you, if, when you think about that, you listen to him say that and you watch him play, you can see him doing that. And one thing Brevin Knight has pointed out all the time is Jaron is getting blocks on his guy. He's not, he's not doing um, blocks as an off defender. Uh, Oftentimes he is getting a block on the man that he is guarding. And that is extraordinarily difficult uh, in the NBA, but it's because of his, excellent footwork and his extremely long arms. Um, and then the other thing, when you talk about uh, Jaron being the D Jaron Jackson jr. Might be the best switching big man in the league on defense. Uh, he routinely stays in front of guys on the perimeter. Um, and that prevents uh, guards from even getting a foot in the paint. And, you know, for our loyal listeners, take a, take a look when, um, when guys try to drive at the basket and they meet Jaron Jackson jr. Anywhere from five, you know, to, to, to eight feet out, <laughs> They pass the ball every time they will not. One of my to favorite play. games. One of my favorite games is watch the little guy go into the paint and, and then suddenly see Jaron. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's like clockwork y'all like watch that. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And, and I want to talk a little bit more about the, the Grizzlies defense um, because 
I mean, guys, I, I think that that is going to be the most important factor uh, for the Grizzlies run in the playoffs this year is their defense. Um, and so I want to I want to break that down um, a little bit. Just touch on the Thunder game before we do that. Uh, the Grizzlies wrapped that up. I'd call that a professional win. Uh, the Thunder made it you know, a little closer uh, than was comfortable. Um, and I think this really gets us into talking about the defense uh, and the playoffs because the Grizzlies gave up 39 points in the fourth quarter against the Oklahoma City Thunder. If one trend line that I'm noticing, uh, y'all, the Grizzlies are giving up a lot of 30 point quarters. They're giving up 30 point first quarters in particular. Um, and some of that has to do with Jaron being in foul trouble a little bit. Um, but I think there's other, I think there's other reasons, right. That, that, that could be happening. Um, so Matt, I want to, I want to give you the option here as we kind of get into this, um, this last big chunk of the pod, um, I want to talk about the Grizzlies defense and I want to talk about some of their potential playoff opponents and, and what concerns you the most. Um, what would be the best way into that? Should we talk about D first or should we talk about playoff opponents? Um, how the way I've been thinking about it is what are the Grizzlies? You know, you try to sometimes the best playoff teams are the ones that are the least fragile, the most anti-fragile. So where are the Grizzlies weak points? You already touched on a couple, which is that size can like the Grizzlies are fine. If you go small, if you're going up against a team that, and, and we can keep Jaron on the floor, you're going to lose because we're huge with Jaron at the four and Steven Adams at the five or, you know, Clark and Clark, Clark and Jaron together, we can play big and we can guard, like you said, on the perimeter with our bigs and we're fine. And that holds up well against, I think almost every opponent, like I would not be scared of the Clippers at all this year. The well, other we swept thing, them, right? The, for that we swept, we won all four games against the Clippers. But even, but even like with Paul George and Kawhi, the recipe for oh, them cool. going small and beating, beating the jazz, it, like, yes, if Jaron gets in foul trouble, that is a big pressure point because we are a different team without him. But they they cannot go – their their thing of going small does not work against us. You know, Marcus Morris will get beasted. He doesn't – we can guard him on the perimeter. We don't need – we're not, we're not Rudy – we're not keeping Rudy Gobert in the paint, you know. We'll just go Jaron to five, Brandon Clark at the four, and we'll guard your guys. Um you know, and we have enough talent to win. And I'm, I'm saying Kawhi and Paul George, like they come back, but they're not like a hundred percent. Sure. Like, you know, um, and so like the other, the other pressure points are if the other team is huge and can keep us huge and whittle down that edge. And, you know, we know we're not a great three point shooting team. And then if the other team protects the basket and doesn't let us get into transition, that is a tough matchup for us. Yes. So, you know, the matchups I'm specifically worried about are the Mavs who have Luca, who are a low turnover team, who even after Porzingis uh, is gone, they can still stay big um, and, and kind of whittle down that offensive rebounding edge. We did pretty well against them in the game recently, uh, offensive rebounding, but we did not get out in transition, like hardly at all. Um, so that's kind of, and I, as I, if somebody else wants to kind of talk off of that i'll kind of think of other pressure points but those are the main ones it's can we stay big can jaron stay on the court and can we get out and transition yeah so i think successful let me just say this first of all i i think success for the grizzlies this year and harrington has said this is a first round playoff win 
I, I think that's the, 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 the basement for success. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. There's an expectation. The Grizzlies need to win a playoff series this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that's the case, right, it's so impossible to know. We were talking about this before we jumped on who that first round matchup is going to be mm-hmm. um, because of the play in tournament. Um, however, uh, when you look at those teams right now, seven through 10, you've got the T wolves, you've got the Clippers, you've got the Lakers, you got the Pelicans of that group of four uh, teams. I think the Timberwolves are going to end up in the seven, the seven spot. I think they're the best. I think they're the best team right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Of that group of four. Now, if if Kawhi uh, and Paul George come back, I think the Clippers are a better team. But Kawhi is he hasn't played basketball in a year. We saw what that looked like for Jaron Jackson Jr. So, right. so I just I, I tee that up to say the the Timberwolves have been pesky for the Grizzlies this year, Matt. Um, you know we have we've had a good record, and I went back and looked at this before because I'm trying to think why have the Grizzlies uh, struggled against the Timberwolves this year. Um, and, and one thing to note, as we sort of talk about that, Dylan Brooks has not played in any games against the Timberwolves. Yeah. Not one. Hmm. And who is arguably the Timberwolves, you know, surging player right now. We all know about big cat, right? But Anthony Edwards is an absolute handful. Yeah. Um, I mean, his size is very, it's LeBron esque. Um, he can get moving, uh, into the lane and it's very difficult to stop him. So I think, okay, well, having some length on the wing to guard Anthony Edwards, maybe that's going to help us. But do you have any concern thinking about that first round matchup potentially uh, being against the Timberwolves? I think we've got the Lakers number and the Clippers number this year, and and I think the Pelicans would be a. But the Timberwolves, it gives me a little pause, Matt. Yeah, I had them as the as the the toughest matchup of those teams seven and down. Um, they. They play really hard, especially against us. They play really hard. They've got a lot of big live bodies that they're all, their defensive rating is not great, but they, they, they just have a lot of big guys like that, that are active. And that is, that is troubling for us. It's, it doesn't really affect our rebounding edge. We get a lot of offensive rebounds, but they turn us over in a way that starts these feedback loops where they're getting the bucket and then we're pulling the ball out, but half of our guys are back. And and like it, we can't get back out in transition because we're the team turning the ball over. Yes. The other thing, the other thing that messes with us is uh, weirdly D'Angelo Russell and Edwards. They're they're no, the, I wouldn't describe the Timberwolves as a good passing team, but their offense is so kind of like one action. They're not bothering with these like multiple you pass plays. They're just, okay, we're going to go to ISO or we're going to go to pick and roll. And it's the, the, the action is going to be one pass essentially. And it's kind of hard to turn the ball over if you're only passing the ball once. Um, it's one of the reasons why I think golden state is like not that bad of a matchup for us because they, they pass the ball so much. Well, and we turn them over. We turn them over like crazy. I totally agree with you. And they like to play small to your point earlier. And we have the size to dominate late games. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, 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 I would favor the Grizzlies for sure, but like we've seen before the Timberwolves steal game. Let's just say they steal one of the first two games in the FedEx forum. Yeah. Like that gets dicey super quick because, uh, and they've got multiple guys. They've got three guys on offense that can get hot and Dylan Brooks can only guard one of them. Um, it stresses Ja too, because Ja doesn't have 
a fantastic place to hide. You know, you would probably want to try to hide him on Pat Bev. Um, but then Pat Bev is already on jaw and there's no cross well, match exactly, for, you know, the other way. And so are you going to hide him on the power forward? Well, now you're giving up a rebounding edge and it's just kind of like this weird, um, you wouldn't think it, but I, I am like a little concerned about, like, I would definitely give them like a one in three, maybe better shot of beating the Grizzlies. Like I don't, I, I wouldn't be shocked like, if it was two seven and it was against them and they won game one, I'd be like, yeah, it's, it's, this is a toss up now. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it, it is a um, Marvin, it is a matchup that concerns me um, yeah. because I mean, listen, we all know who Patrick Beverly is. I mean, I just had because of those days with the Clippers, right? And when he fought the Grizzlies and all those playoff yeah. wins, Memf- Memphis Grizzlies fans know who Patrick Beverly is. And, you know, remember, he came through Memphis on his way to Minnesota. Let's get in the <laughs> way back machine, right? Some of us were like, welcome to Memphis, Pat. Be-. And I think he tweeted out like Memphis. Yeah, what's up? But then ends up going to the Timberwolves. And what a huge get it was for that team, because for so long, people were like, well, this Timberwolves team should be better. Why are they not better? Well, Patrick Beverly does, I think, for our team, what Tony Allen previously and what Dylan Brooks now does for our team, Marvin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He gets them energized. Yeah, I I think that's right. And there is something interesting about uh, players who historically have our number back to C.J. McCollum. I think he's one kind of one of those players um, is uh, it. it, And it, it, it seems to like you ask yourself, well, why should that make sense? These are these are. They're like a whole new mix of players, but I don't know what it is, but there's certain players who just seem to have that thing. And then like when I'm, when we were at the Clippers game with Cormac, I was like, you watch this guy, CJ McCollum, like he's going to get hot. He's he just has our number. And, and then Cormac started kind of followed that trend line. He's man, you're really right. And I, I, I don't know what, how to explain that. Um, uh, I think it's one of the kind of like magical things about watching basketball is that like if it could all be boiled down into statistical trend lines, I think those are those are equally fascinating to, to to ponder. But I think those kind of like I'm not sure why that is the way that is. <laughs> those are variables that I think adds a lot of flavor and interest to games, and it gives you somebody to be like, oh that guy. I mean, no doubt, it just makes yeah. sports fun. So, um, so I don't know why there are those players that. That, that can kind of like ring our bell uh, just historically across lineups, across teams, yeah, yeah. They, they transfer teams, you know, like, you go, no, there's just something in the, in the air. So um, no, I think that's right. And it's like, if one person gets hot, that, that I mean, that's the re- that's what'll make it a thrilling matchup. I think we can take the Timberwolves. I, I don't think, honestly, I think the extra gear that it get triggered is the, is the John ja Morant no way in hell we're not at least winning one series uh, yeah. year? And yeah. I just think he would turn superhuman, and we would just we would just be flabbergasted by some like extra like just like what is going on here? I don't think Ja's going to let us lose a. Uh, I don't think the Grizzlies will let themselves lose a playoff series. Like yeah. that would be a huge disappointment, and that would be just counter to the narrative of this entire ridiculous who to thunk it season. That's true. Right? We're going to win the first playoff season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think it's going to come down to a battle of wills between Patrick Beverly and John Moran. If I had to make a prediction, that is a matchup to keep an eye on because Patrick Beverly, it, my I money's mean, on jaw. 
No, I, I, I agree. I mean, if nothing else, because Patrick Beverly will just foul you. I mean, and, and he'll get into foul trouble. And so I think some of those things are going to um, are going to going to poke out their heads. But y'all, I, I think the Timberwolves matchup is not going to be a walk in the park. Carl Anthony Towns is a he's a load for Jaron Jackson Jr. So watch for foul trouble there. Uh, Anthony yeah. Anthony Edwards is going to be a load for Dylan Brooks. Uh, D'Angelo Russell uh, is going to be a load for Desmond Bain. <laughs> okay, Desmond has been playing, I'd say, better defense than we expected this year. But D'Angelo Russell went nuclear in the last game uh, against mm-hmm. the Grizzlies. Um, and so I think he may earn a spot on the bona fide Grizz killer list. Patrick Beverly is going to be a problem for John Morant. And then they bring uh, Malik Beasley off the bench, you know, with Tyus Jones. And so that is a, usually we have an advantage at the backup point guard spot because Tyus could start on, you know, 25 of the NBA teams in the league probably. Um, So you don't really have that. They've got Jared Vanderbilt. They've got Toreen Prince, Nas Reed. They have size down low. I just think it's going to be a battle. And, and Matt, you said this team plays hard against the Grizzlies. Um, and listen, the last time that they, they played the Grizzlies, um, that over, let's see the, uh, that let's see, that was February 24th and the Grizzlies lost in that game. That was a great game. It was a fantastic game, but I don't know if you saw this. I think from the beginning of that game, the Timberwolves said, we're not going to lose this game. And, and that was their body chemistry. Don't you think it was a, it was a, it was a great game. They, they got up for us in a way that uh, and I think I think we were hot at that point like I think that game started kind of our like little malaise pre pre all-star break um they're a tough matchup yeah the, the foul trouble on Jaron too is another you know you get some fouls on Jaron Dylan comes in and fouls a little bit and suddenly the other team's living in a, in the bonus that's probably kind of an underrated like what does Memphis's foul rate mean um to a matchup. That's probably something I should think about a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. The Grizzlies lost that game before the all-star break to the trailblazers. And then Mm -hmm. the first game back from the break was this Timberwolves game and the Grizzlies just weren't ready. Yeah. And uh, that remember that was the game where Jock came out and said, I know some of y'all are talking about this Casamigos is why I'm out here playing like this, but I'm here to tell you it ain't like that. (laughs) Um, And then they went out and beat the bulls the next game, which was an awesome game. And then John Morant yes. shot shot the Gatorade, and he's like, "This is for all the haters or whatever." So that was pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, so, okay, let let's talk for just a second about some defense. I just want to share a couple numbers, uh, and then we'll we'll pull out of here um, with some prognostications about maybe a round two uh, playoff matchup for this team. Um, the I think the Grizzlies' success in the postseason is going to come down to their ability to defend. Um, I think that we have an offense with this Grizzlies team that we certainly haven't seen uh, in uh, in more than a decade. Um, maybe you can go back to some of the Hubie Brown teams, but we just we have a we have a pretty uh, a good offense. So when we think about defense, right? Do the Grizzlies foul a lot? They're really kind of middle of the pack uh, in terms of fouling. So you know, uh, free throw attempts for their opponents are about twenty two. Uh, per game um, elite is 18 per game. But when you think about that, right, those four points, those four free throws that can really make a big difference. So I think that's something we have to be mindful of, right? Are the Grizzlies fouling too much? Um, I think last year, Grizzlies three point uh, defense was a challenge. I think that's part of the reason that the jazz won so handily. Um, the Grizzlies just didn't have an answer for the three point uh, defense. 
So here's some numbers by regions. Um, the Grizzlies give up 40% from the left corner uh, for the three. They give up 38% from the right corner. Um, but they make up for giving up, you know, fairly high percentages in the three with incredibly good paint defense. The Grizzlies are fourth in the league in paint D. Um, they're doing an excellent job uh, in that space. Um, but they give up a pretty good amount of points in the mid-range. Uh, opponents are shooting 42% uh, from the mid-range. Uh, and then um, above the break threes, the Grizzlies are giving up 35%. That's not good. So when you look at where are the Grizzlies' strengths defensively, obviously they're good at keeping guys out of the paint. That can help. But when we say keeping them out of the paint, it's mostly for scores. Often guards will get a foot in the paint and kick out for these three balls. So I want to dig into that a little bit, Matt, when you're thinking about schemes, right? How should the Grizzlies scheme, right, to really shore up this defense? In terms of blocks and steals, the Grizzlies are leading the league, okay? So they're 9.8 steals per game, 6.5 blocks per game. That's, that's elite. That's incredible. Um, and in fact, when the Grizzlies played on uh, TNT uh, last week, uh, Kenny, the Jet Smith and Shaq, they're talking about stocks. This is the first time they'd heard that stocks stat, right? <laughs> For those of us who are Grizzlies, we know it well because it's something we – we do well. Um, and then finally, I'll just say, uh, I think the Grizzlies switch on defense um, better than a lot of teams with size in the middle, because as we've talked about, Jaron is capable of doing that. Now, Steven Adams is typically not going to switch, right? He's going to, he's going to typically uh, hold down the middle, um, but you have size. Brandon Clark can switch as well, right? And so in terms of schemes, the Grizzlies can play in the modern NBA. They can switch, they can play small. And, and as you noted earlier, they dominate when they play big. So as we get into this playoff run, Matt, what what do the Grizzlies need to do to be better defensively? Well, to Marv's point, like it doesn't make sense. These are all new players, but the team still kind of has the grit and grind identity. Like you, it, it really is weird that you have the superstar in John Morant, which the grit and grind teams never had. But how does the team win? They win by turning the other team over. They win on the offensive boards. And they're not a good shooting team. And, you know, like the rest of the the Grizzlies, like stats on defense, it's their middle of the road in how, how often the ball goes in the, uh, in the basket for the deep, for the, for their opponent, they turn the ball over. They, they generate turnovers a ton. They're not a great defensive rebounding team. They're middle of the pack and they're middle of the pack in, in foul rate. You assume when Dylan comes back that the foul rate's going to go up but he turns the water off a little bit. You know, he's kind of the Tony Allen stopper. Um, how do they, how do they get better on defense? Like, I think they're kind of like, I think they kind of are what they are, you know, like, you know, you can't really do anything amazing with Steven Adams. Like you said, he's going to play the drop. He's going to be kind of staying near the, near the basket. Dylan's going to do what he does. Um, I will say one specific matchup thing I saw was in the last Dallas game, which Dallas is, is, is the team I'm scared of the most of the likely first round opponents late in that yeah. game, late in that game, Luca was, was really dialed in and Taylor Jenkins put Jaron on him. Like from the start, Jaron took the assignment. Dylan wasn't in the game, but Jaron took the assignment and I was thinking to myself, why, why is he doing this? Is this just the player wants to do it? Is it? And I started thinking about it. And if Jaron's already, you know, Luca runs a pick and roll to get a switch. 
He, he wants to get the big switched on him. Jaron's already on him. So what does that do? It turns everything else into station by station to station. Instead of Luca passing one of his teammates open, he's really just going ISO. And Jaron's so big, you know, if he can sit back and kind of force Luca into just taking long step back threes, he might actually be big enough to like dissuade some of that and bother it if he can stay out of foul trouble. So my thought was Jenkins is just doing this to give Jaron a taste of guarding Jer- uh, uh, guarding Luca in the regular season. He's just starting him there. Um, and Jaron did like, all right, but you know, I, is that going to last? No, but you know, I think he gave him a couple more reps at it because, you know, now that I'm sort of talking through it, I am, I apologize. I'm kind of talking through my thoughts here. Like the key to the key to the Grizzlies defense is Jaron staying out of foul trouble. So, you know, how can they get better at it? Like maybe hiding him, maybe just hit, it just is up to the player. You know, it might just be Jaron. It just is up to him to stay out of foul trouble. Yeah. Marv. Yeah. You know, um, that is really interesting, but uh, as long as we're talking defense, another thing springs to mind and it's a new variable and it's, I'm talking about Dylan Brooks. Okay. So I think Dylan has had a great, uh, he, he came back strong. He even started, you know, I thought, Oh, bring him off the bench, but like they brought him back as a starter, uh, which I think was really good. Like just like morale wise to see him just step right back into who he was. And he had a good game. Um, I think, uh, and, and Anthony, I've talked about this uh, on, on other episodes, but um, it's that X factor that Dylan Brooks brings. And to, to your point, Matt, you know, the like they kind of are who they are in terms of like strengths, you know, demonstrated strengths. But I think one variable that I think could come into play is the Dylan Brooks uh, fire in the gut factor. Uh, and, and, and if you recall where, where how he was in last year's playoffs specifically, it's like he's got. He brings extra fire, which then kind of like juices up the fire of the rest of the team, like broadly. But then in the playoffs, <laughs> Dylan brings additional fire. Uh, and sure. I think so. I, I just wonder um, how much that kind of him like juicing the team. The, the t- and everybody gets up a little bit more for the playoffs. But I feel like I think that might be one variable that could kind of like turn us up uh, an extra couple of notches on the old volume. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And Dylan and Dylan was incredible last year in the playoffs. I mean, there was a notable surge both for he and yep. jaw in terms of productivity last year. So I think that's something we can hope for. Um, I think Luka Doncic is going to be a generational uh, player. I mean, with his size, his shooting ability, he's just, he's going to be tough. And I think Matt makes a good point about Jaron. I hadn't, I hadn't paid attention to that matchup, but um, Taylor Jenkins is a smart coach. Let's figure that out. And if, if somehow you can have Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. out on the floor when Luca's on the floor, and then maybe yeah. those switches, right? So if let's say Jaron gets switched off of Luca, well, if you can switch Dylan back onto him, then that's a that's pretty good. And you can you can typically scheme to 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 make things generally work out that way to your favor. Um, and by the way, the Grizzlies are an elite defense when Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. are on the floor together. Right. Um, yeah. and so I think Matt, you made this point. Um, I, I think I think the best thing the Grizzlies can do to improve their defense is uh, get reps for Dylan Brooks, number one, and then number two, keep Jaron ja- Jackson Jr. on the floor. Yeah, and you know I want to leave it there because one thing to watch with Jaron, you can tell now when he's in foul trouble, he will not contest some buckets. 
I think mm-hmm. I think Jaron is such a, uh, a programmed defensive player that he's like, it is my job to protect the rim. So he'll often contest shots that he knows are going to go in. He has no business contesting. So keep an eye on that. If Jaron can develop the discipline to say, look, we, we just didn't get this one. I'm going to yeah. not get a foul on this play so that I can stay out here on the floor for the next five minutes or whatever it is. Um, something, think, you, yeah. uh, sorry, something just came, what you just said came into my, came into my head is, you know, having Dylan, who is a fantastic, possibly the best in the league at getting over screens, having him, you know, especially on, on most of the teams that you're going to face in the playoffs, have a, have a really good um, perimeter creator. The fewer clear runs that that guy has to the rim help Jaron stay out of foul trouble. And so like, I just sort of assume Dylan's coming back and he's going to be good at defense. Like I just, I just assume that cause he, we, he is like, you know, that's sort of what I meant as far as like, we are who we are. Like Dylan's just going to come back and be good at defense. You know, the offensive side is, is kind of up for debate, but you know, him coming back and being the primary on-ball defender, he will foul a little bit, but he's going to, he's going to help Jaron stay out of foul trouble. So that's a point we should like kind of consider that trade off there. Yes. Good point. Yeah, Matt, for sure. Well, right now the jazz and the Mavs are tied uh, for a fourth, the fourth seed. Um, And uh, if my math is not mistaking me here, if the Mavericks advance to the four seed, and the Grizzlies win their first round playoff matchup, then the Grizzlies would play the Mavs, I believe, in the semis in the West. Um, so it's something to keep an eye on um, because I agree with you, Matt. I think the Mavs are going to be tough for us. Uh, one last point here. The Suns have an excellent perimeter uh, creator in um, – uh, oh, help me with his name, Devin Booker. Devin Booker. Uh, the Warriors obviously have Steph Curry. Clay's, you know, been coming back into the fold. The Jazz have Donovan Mitchell. Uh, the Mavericks have um, Luka Doncic. So, and this is something we've touched on, on the show before. You know, when you get into the playoffs, guys who can make their own shot, per- particularly on the perimeter, uh, it's dangerous. So having Dylan Brooks back is going to help us a lot. And uh, it turns out, yes, he is very good at defense, uh, y'all. So let's see if that can give the Grizzlies a boost into the stretch run. Uh, we could do this all day, gentlemen, but um, we've got to get uh, to it. Uh, and yes. Matt, I just can't thank you enough. This has been so enjoyable. Thank you for joining us on Memphis Hardwood. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we'll have to have you back. And uh, uh, Memphis Hardwood fans, be on the lookout. We're going to try to do some special things with the pod as we get closer uh, to the playoffs. Uh, we've been talking about having a live show in Memphis in advance of some of the playoff games. Uh, and we will certainly be here getting you ready for those matchups and then breaking them down once the games are over. So thanks to everybody for tuning in today. And Marvin, thank you for being here as always. Pleasure as always. All right, y'all go Grizzlies. Uh, we've got a good week coming up this week. Grizzlies have three games that they definitely can win um, against Indiana, Atlanta, and those pesky Houston Rockets. Look for the Grizzlies to have a chip on their shoulders. They're going to get theirs. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's hope Ja and company go nuclear. Uh, Trey Young uh, and his crew down in Atlanta might give the Grizzlies a surprise. So definitely keep your eyes peeled on that one. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to Memphis Hardwoods. It's been great being with you, and we'll see you on next week.